Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Podcast. And, uh, you know, when you listen to this podcast, of course, we talk a lot a lot about everything from economics, investing, uh, and largely with the goal to empower you guys to create passive income, uh, financial independence, wealth, and income. And uh, that's kind of our leading discussions that we have in alternative methods. Um, as you, of course, all know on my journey to try to get uh, more financial independence, which eventually saved my family's financial life after becoming paralyzed. And that's the driving theme. And today we're really going to dive a lot into this um, because I think the traditional playbook, as you guys know, is is doesn't work and it, and it's kind of broken. Where it's all about getting uh, alternative sources of income. And today we have uh, Joey Murray. We'll see if I got that right. I, I mean, we'll see. But and Russ Morgan, um, and they're on here. They have a site and they talk about um, financial independence and really the the thick the the kick and what I love about it is it's wealth without Wall Street right and it's it's this idea that there's other ways to go about it and that the traditional way frankly is probably broken and that's what we want to talk about today and we're going to dive deep into solutions what they've done what um just kind of their whole journey so with that i'm not going to talk anymore i'm going to bring them on hey guys how's it going hey aj thanks for having us on today yeah i'm glad to be here aj yeah thank you guys for coming on um you know we talked briefly here before we get in the podcast as most people know that um when i do the podcast i i i really want to learn about you guys on the podcast and have a conversation that is organic and so i i do know obviously about you i know the fundamentals things like that but why don't before we dive into some of these topics on everything from investing and cash flow um let give why don't we talk about your guys's journey you guys self-fund your investments and you've gotten away i'm assuming you're both away from your w2 you've broken away from that now and you're teaching it with others so let's let's give people if you don't mind taking a turn each one uh and just give a little bit of a background like how did you get why are you in this position um and where did that start well aj i'll i'll start i was in the mortgage business for um almost 11 years and uh, during that time man i thought i was on the corporate ladder to financial success. And what I equated that with was as soon as I hit a certain income level, like that's what financial success or financial freedom, I wouldn't have even called it financial freedom at that time, really was. And the problem is, is as I hit those numbers, I didn't feel free. And it really what it amounted to be actually from from learning about your story, AJ, I feel like I kind of relate is it, it was less and less freedom the higher that income rose because, man, the hours that I was present with my family. And what I mean by that is physically and emotionally and mentally present. I could be on a vacation with my family and not be there. 
and I had the phone stuck to my hip. Like literally I had a holster on my belt and somebody would call and I would tell my wife, Hey, um, I'm going to take this call, go head down to the beach and I'll be right behind you guys. I just had to take this one application. And what that turned into is an hour long debacle. I get down to the beach and they're ready to come in. And I've missed the very people that I am, I'm saying that I'm working for are there and I missed that opportunity. So long story short, Russ and I became friends at church actually first. And he shared with me some things he was teaching his clients at the time. This is in 2009. And um, he, he actually sold me a book, which AJ, I don't know, to me, it was a low, low class move. I was like, he, he asked me to read the book. And then he said, and by the way, I want, I want, I'm going to charge you $20. He, and I'm like, he says this every time, every time AJ, he tells everybody that we talk to about how I sold him a book and I, I wouldn't give it to him for free that I'm such a cheapskate. I mean, come on, like it's ridiculous. But the good news is, is because I paid for it, I paid attention to it. Uh, you know, they say yeah. those who pay for things, they pay attention. And I actually read it and I actually, it was exactly what, I could never have put into words what I was thinking, but it was like this book unlocked that piece of my brain that said, there is a different way to do this. What, what was and the book? You're... So um, Become Your Own Banker by R. Nelson Nash. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure yep. if you're familiar I with it. I am familiar with it. But it was a dramatic change to the way I thought about controlling my finances instead of leaving them up to somebody else, right? Like I was stuck in that head down, work for 40 years, push your money into a 401k and home for the best. Mm-hmm. And then if you have any extra, put some in a Roth IRA or then put some into a, a regular IRA and don't understand what those things are being invested in. Just hope for the best. Like think, looking at it now, thinking it back, I'm like, that was moronic of me, right? Like why was I thinking that was good for me? And that was because the world told me that was the best. Anyways, long story short, after four years, of taking back control of my finances, working with Russ on several different things. I woke up and I said, I've got to get this word out. Like this has made such a change for my family and our future that I need to be a part of the movement to help people see that this is possible. So Russ and I joined up forces in 2014 and in 2016, Wealth Without Wall Street, the name was born. And um, since then we've been sharing this message all over the country through our podcasts and other means and um, seeing hundreds and hundreds of people's lives changed um, just as mine was. So now, um, well, hold on. Okay. Before I, I'm going to just bombard you here with questions here soon. Uh, Russ, why don't you tell us a little bit about, okay, what were you doing at the time when you gave uh, him advice and and talking, Where were, what, what were you doing? No, yeah. he sold me a book. There was no advice given. It was a literally a soul. It was a sales pitch. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, look, I just, you know, I, I've been an entrepreneur from the jump. Like, I, I, by the way, I bought I that it. book for fifteen dollars. I made, nice. I made a good, I made a 20, 25, 30% profit on that thing. I, I'm always looking to make money. Doesn't matter what it is, book sales or whatever. You know, um, 
So I was actually a certified financial planner, AJ. I was doing the typical Wall Street models. Mm -hmm. I was putting people in jail uh, literally yep. because, you know, <laughs> their money uh, was with me and uh, they were having uh, to go to work every day uh, to keep making it. And hopefully I I'd do a good enough job over the 40 years they leave it with me that maybe I give it to them back kind of thing. And when, when the market crashed in 08, I was sitting there with just like everybody else, hands, you know, palms up to the sky, wondering what happened, why, why everything didn't go just the way every textbook example I'd read up to that point was, you yeah. know, and I, I heard this man speak, the guy, the author of that book that I gave to Joey, and I just read it a couple months prior to him. And what I learned from there is that, and I've applied this from this point forward, is that the real reason people um, struggle, the biggest obstacle standing in their way, they just don't have access to cash and their money is in equity, it's in debt payments on their, their school loans, it's in the 401ks or whatever it is. And by knowing this small principle, knowing that opportunities, million dollar deals sit all around us, but without the understanding of what a deal looks like or having the uh, dollars to be able to invest in it, we continue to run on the hamster wheel uh, or the treadmill that you that you talk about. So for me, it, it just opened up a pathway to starting to look for deal flow that existed outside of funds and the traditional traffic. And it, it led us on a path to where now we you know, invest in everything from uh, short term rentals, land flipping, e-commerce, ATM machines, you name it. We're involved in different uh, deals of all sorts. So when you guys say that, uh, OK, let's let's. Talk about this real quick. You, you talk about um, unlocking cash, right? Um, you talk about access, and and that's a great part to, uh, I guess, start here. Um, what do you, what do you mean by that? What do you talk about, like uh, unlocking cash? So I'll give the example that really was the first part to this. So my my father in law had invested with me as his advisor, and he had a you know, large seven figure sum of money that was in a couple of different stocks. And when the market started crashing, I had stop loss on those stocks that ultimately turned them straight to cash, right? Well, there he is sitting in cash, but terrified of what to do with it. On the other hand, my wife was sitting, uh, running a dental practice and she had $750,000 worth of loans to Bank of America for this dental practice. And so I, I was reading this book about how to become your own banker and how that the bank is just sitting in the middle position, taking depositors money and lending it out to borrowers. And I was like, well, why couldn't we apply the same concept in our family's life where why don't I just take this cash that my father-in-law wants to invest, but he's too terrified to do it and, and, and go pay off the debts my wife has and let her make the $7,500 a month payment every uh, month back to him. And so when that transaction happened, what really happened to me was like, wait a second, why couldn't I do that with other businesses and other things I'm involved in? Oh, that's right. Because all my money's in a 401k. Oh, that's right. All my money is in the equity in my house. Oh, that's right. All my money is being, you know, every extra dollar I have, I'm using to try to pay off her dental school loans. So what I needed to, to kind of get my arms around is that debt freedom was not financial freedom. I needed to know that access to money was way more important than equity in my house or equity in a 401k or whatever it was. So this concept of becoming your own banker gave me just some basic tentacles or principles of, okay, instead of putting my money in stuff that I can't touch, I need to put it into an account that I can access. And 
this is what I started teaching Joey and he was a great student so much. So they left his job making $300,000 a year to come work with me. Cause he knew how bad I was at getting the message out. And so that we could then start teaching other people, basically that same basic premise. And once you have access to cash, then opportunities start showing themselves up all around you. Yeah. So take, taking it from wall street and get putting it back in your control. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that most people won't do, right. Here's, here's the thing, AJ, we had so many conversations over, um, you know, thousands of hours over the last 15 years with people is that, Hey, the reason I don't keep cash is cash is expensive, right? If I put too much money in my checking account, I know it's not earning anything. Yeah. It, the savings account doesn't give me anything. So, mm-hmm. you know, really I don't want to have too much cash. I'm fearful of what may happen. So I want a, enough to take care of that, but I don't want so much that I know I'm losing ground as the government's printing money hand over fist. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they end up putting it into things that then force them to keep working, right? Like people say all the time, Russ, why are you so anti-401k? I was like, well, because if financial freedom is to be free in the next five years and you're 40 years old, you tell me how that putting money in something you can't touch for 20 years helps you. Yeah. Like that's not getting you closer to your goal. It's actually prolonging the time frame it'll take for you to get there. So then they're like, well, where else would I put my cash? I was like, well, I can tell you what I do with it. I put millions of dollars every year into cash or life insurance. Well, that seems like a terrible place to put money. Well, it's a better place than the bank, but it's just the start to allow me to build all the passive income streams that I have today. Like, what do you mean by that? So that's where it kind of starts is like, you got to have a place for it to reside, but everybody's looking for a better place than their 0% interest checking account. 100%. You know, it's... um that's something I really got a long time ago where it was like, you do the numbers and I don't know. It just never made sense to me. Like it was like, I'm supposed to stash away how much money it goes into the stock market. And then at some point I'm supposed to then start to take away from that money because it built up over time. And hopefully I have enough money to live a life that I want to or need to. And it, I, it just never, it never made a whole lot of sense to me. It, it was like, this seems to be a very poor use of capital. Um, it's not within my control. It's, uh, we know the market has up and downs and tanks, but let's just say seven, 8% a year. Okay. Well, seven, 8% a year. Um, well, I started doing the math of how much I would have to stash up to save to get to anything relevant. And it, it just didn't make sense. And then two, also, if I needed to pull that out when I was 65 and we happened to be in a downturn, well, now I can't till I'm 70. Well, now I'm simply taking away a stockpile of cash. And essentially what investing in the markets was, was it was trying to beat out um, inflation. So that meant that I got a little growth, but really I just wasn't losing the money. And at the end, I had my pile of money to dig out with. And I'm I'm like, that doesn't make sense, right? Uh, cash flow is king. I need cash flow to pay the bills. That's why I have a job. That's why I have everything else. Why am I piling up money? And um, two, nobody, I'm like, nobody got rich doing that. Like, this is not a, you know, like, there's no financial freedom for this. This is a retirement and basically give it to Wall Street because they won't essentially lose your money and you will if you do. So the best practices are to force yourself 
to put money into this bank account. While then Wall Street is using your money and getting filthy rich. And I, it just never made sense to me ever. I'm like, I, I don't get it. I don't get the purpose of it. And frankly, most of the investments that we see as the far as far as real estate or debt, the yield is astronomically higher. And two, it, to me, it's less risk. I can diversify amongst Absolutely. asset classes. I can direct invest. I can do things from debt to all sorts of stuff. So my investments are not correlated, right? But why do you think it's so hard for most people to get over that hump? Like to get, I mean, maybe not. Maybe everybody realizes it and I just swear. It doesn't seem like they do because Wall Street keeps getting lots and lots of money and everybody's boosting yeah. in the 401k. So why why is there this hesitation? You guys tell what you did and that's great. Most people in it though, I think are kind of going, okay, they don't do that though. Why? Yeah, so AJ, I think it actually comes down to a few things. Number one, people don't, they're just not comfortable going against the stream, right? They don't want to go upstream when everything, everybody is saying, this is what you do. You, you get a good job. You go to get a good education. You get a good job. You work for 40 years. You put money into this 401k. It's to your benefit because they give you free money. And then at some point you can scarcely live off of what's left. Um, that's number one, I think, is people don't want to be different and they don't want to question what everybody else is doing. The second thing is what I mentioned about scarcely. I think scarcity is what is constantly being taught all around us. I mean, the mindset that it takes to be successful is abundance. And scarcity is what's throats. And the, the way I'll, I'll give this example, I was at the beach a few years ago with my family and we all had our Wealth Without Wall Street um, we have like some swim shirts basically made up for our little girls and everybody. And so we, we kind of stick out, you know, on the beach, and this couple comes over and she's probably in her sixties, um, maybe early seventies, something like that. And she comes over and she starts talking to, she's asked me about my shirt. What's this wealth of that wall street. And, um, we found out they're close to us. They were from Alabama as well. And she said, um, Oh, that's interesting about this wealth without Wall Street thing. She said, "You know, um, we just retired uh, recently, and uh, all I can say is I hope it's enough." And I was like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "Well, I mean, I, I worked all this time, I put all this money away, and I just, I just hope it's enough." And it was like that was like a simple conversation, but it reminded me that it requires scarcity to put as much money away as possible into this quote unquote retirement. And then it requires scarcity to live off of that because you're always wondering, am I taking too much? If, if what's around the corner, like there's never a true freedom in that model. And I think those things really enslave people to this mindset. They don't even realize that they're doing. No, I, I couldn't agree more. The scarcity side on it is scarcity now and scarcity then. And that to me was like, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live knowing that if I spend today, I am robbing myself from the future. And then I have to stack away in the future. And then I know in the future, if I spend today, I'm still robbing myself from the future. So I can't spend at all. And I'm like, it's just like, it, it, it all of a sudden the end is just limit as much as I can ever do in life 
because I only have a certain amount of money. So the idea is just to minimize everything, minimize spending, minimize how I live, what I do, where I go. Um, and that is the success. And that just didn't sit well with me. I didn't. Well, I think, think about this too. If, if you lived your whole life in scarcity, thinking that once I retire, then we're going to travel like crazy and we're going to do all, we're going to see the world. And I mean, you've, you've heard these things, mm -hmm. they're lies mm -hmm. because you're never going to feel the freedom to do that. Well, I would say even deeper than that, let's just go practical, right? Everybody is always trying to implement some new habit in their life that they hope will then in turn become just part of their normal routine, right? Whether that's eating better, working out, whatever it may be. Well, once you ingrain a habit over a long enough period of time, it does become who you are. So if you spend 30 years saving and scrimping by, tell me that you're going to change that all of a sudden once you quote unquote retire, that's not going to happen. You're not going to change your routine. You're not going to change something that you, you know, created a rut in your mind, which there's a great, a great video called The Backwards Bicycle that talks about the neural pathways that we make in our mind over and over again. Yes. That is really focused on we've got to create a, a process that will free us. And if we do something over and over and over long enough, we're not going to change from it. So the retirement concept leads to scarcity in retirement, to your point, Joy. And, and the last thing about this, I, I don't mean to beat the drum here, AJ, but I just get kind of passionate about this. You were never meant to retire. Yeah, right? no, I, like, I agree 100%. I think that is a right. total farce. We're, we're here to serve. Like we're here to add value to the world. And if what you're doing right now is not adding value to the world in a way that God uniquely created you to be, then find what that is and start living that way because that part should never stop. It's not like I'm just going to grind it out for 40 years and just, you know, enslave myself so I can be free one day. Like that Dude, is not, not even free. So I can sit on the do. porch. Right. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not it. it like, who wants to do that? Who wants to live like that? Who wants to say at 60, I'm going to spend 30 years sitting around doing nothing and hope that I don't eat into this money. Cause if so, I got to go back to work at 85. Like it doesn't make, you know, it's it. And I think that there is a pretty big breakdown in this, in the last 20 years, especially after the great recession, especially after everything that went on, people were like, this model is fundamentally broken. Now, with that said, everybody still participates in it. I think the major reason is the lack of knowledge or understanding. Also, I think the um, there's really key things within the system that say things like investing is dangerous, right? It's risky. You're taking on risk, right? And, um, but having a job and hoping you don't run out of cash, which you have a single source of income, that's not risky. Once again, none of these things it made sense to me. So now we, I understand, you know, you guys are, you're, we're on the same page. You guys are moving through there. Now let's talk about here investments. What are you investing in though? Why are you investing in when somebody, cause then that, that comes the next thing, right? All right. We talk about cash. We save it. You have your retirement funds, maybe equity in the home. And if you're not there, start to build up, you start to get there. But then people say, great, I got the cash. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where, where to go, what to do. What are you guys looking at in your investments and why do you invest in those things? Yeah. Let, let me put it in a framework because I, I think it, as we're riding down the road, we're running on the treadmill. Sometimes 
you know, that you hear us sitting, going back and forth and, and beating on this horn. And maybe you, you're agreeing along with us and nodding your head, but you might be like, well, I don't know really how this applies to me. I'm trying to find my way out of the hamster wheel and none of this makes sense. So I'm going to quickly back up. You said, you asked a question a second ago. I'm going to give a really quick answer to it. Why do most people end up in this way is that they haven't spent time trying to figure out what they want. And it's usually because it takes time and it creates concern in their mind that they don't really know what they want. So having a goal, having a clear path as to what you want to have happen um, is what most people want to avoid because they don't want to take the time to do it. But once they do, it's freeing because it gives them clarity to what the next step is. So then you ask the question, well, what do you invest in and why? Well, I'll start with the why first. As Joey was saying a second ago, like if you're not serving the world in a capacity that that fills you up and that you can add the greatest value switch, well, the same thing should be true with investing. Investing is not about risk tolerance. That's some garbage that I was taught as I was a certified financial mm-hmm. planner. Like people sit on a scale between one and 10 and, you know, yeah. they pick it and then the rest goes to bonds. That's garbage, right? <laughs> that, garbage. That's not the way it is. We are built a certain specific way and we need to match our investing style to it. The first investment I ever made was in a single family condo in a, a college town that I used to live in. And it produced $150 a month of cash flow, whether I liked it or not, until the time where, you know, the neighbor, you know, uh, drained their water heater into my unit. And then I quit. I lost money for nine months in a row. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it didn't matter the months I was making money or didn't. It didn't match up with my profile because I'm an impatient individual. I want to go faster. I like influence. I like to be able to add strategic value to the business. So me and the way I'm built, that passive investing didn't match up with my investor DNA. So what we did is we built a a process to where we find out what people's individual investor DNA is, and then we help them see the opportunities and investments out there and match it up to it so they can find the one that's more like what they want, right? I'm a cautious, steady investor. I love things like that. If I'm a person who's not, I I want to look for other assets. Um, asset classes that can produce quicker cash flows that might meet my, you know, my level of urgency. Yeah. I, so I, I love ask- that this DNA thing. And, and I talk about this a lot because um, with when, when we got started, right. Um, first of all, just like you, I, I actually hated real estate because I'm like, this doesn't make sense. You make how much and you're putting how much into it. But then um, I did a bunch of other business, right? I settled on self-storage as most people know, but it was because it fit my DNA, meaning it was, it had the elements I liked about real estate, but it was very um, operation centric, which allowed me to change the revenue, to build it, to go and actually have an effect on that business and get that big upside, right. And reinvest out. And, that because that fit my DNA, I was successful in it. And that's a really big thing that I think a lot of people miss. Now, it took me a while to really find that matchup um, and even understand it, which is fine. I think you know it. But an investor's DNA is a real thing. And um, a lot of people, I agree, think it's risk or risk tolerance, which I don't think that has anything. I like you. I don't think it has anything to do with risk, right? It's it, it, it's this matchup of a, a DNA. But what do you think makes up that DNA? So when you're looking at other people, investors, and yourself included, what are the things in a DNA that would show you their likes or their abilities, or you know, how would somebody look and say, "Well, what's my DNA?" So I can just break down for you what mine is, right? Um, 
And, and I'll tell you, there's really three components that we talk through on our investor DNA. It's what are the things that you're going to love about certain investments? What are the things that you're going to find as a con or like a negative? And what resources are necessary to be successful in that particular investment? So you may be the person like Russ mentioned, where, you know, he wants to go fast, he wants to influence and he wants to do all these things, but the type of investment that matches up with it doesn't, I mean, it requires more capital than you have access to at the time. Well, that just means you have to solve for the capital problem, right? Yes. And it, but it tells you that it, it gives you that kind of framework so that you know what to do. In my case, I am a more of a steady, slow, like I'm not super fast about things. And I want to I want to kind of think about it and I want to make sure it's proven. I want to think about the possible things that could go wrong and have, you know, um, something to back up each one of those single points of failure, if you will. And so for, for me, I'll just give you one of the things that really matched up with with uh, one of the things we do is our land business. Right. We do raw land. We flip raw land. Mm-hmm. We go and purchase property. Maybe it's a, a an acre, two acres, maybe 10 acres at a time. And we buy them for 20 to 30 cents on the dollar because we identify people who really want to sell, but they just need somebody to make them an offer. Yeah. They're behind on their taxes and they're out of state owners. Like this is a, a telltale sign that something is not quite right. And they just want somebody to give them an offer. We go and do that. We buy it and we turn around and we make the, the land purchase for somebody else affordable by owner financing it to them on terms that are like a car loan. Yeah. And I love this business because land has been here forever and will always be. Yes. People love land. They want to own land. I mean, there's a great song called Buy Dirt. I mean, it, it gets you all fired up. You want to go buy land. Like it's it's a good thing. And I love the fact that we bought into this as a, a process that someone else runs for us. They're in yes. oper- they're they're in operations, which I am not good at operations. I know that about myself, and and so this it, this just hits all the boxes for me. It's hands off. It's automatic. I mean, we get we make over twelve thousand dollars a month net on this business, and um, like I said, it doesn't have any kind of concerns about the market. It's it just is what it is. It's dirt. Yes, the simple. I, I love that simplicity of it. And then, so Russ actually loves our short-term rental business because it's a lot more fast pace. We make a lot more money doing it. Um, we can influence the outcome. We can connect with people in our in our community to make deals happen. Um, we can go out there and we can we can build systems that will uh, make it much more hands-off and more automated. And there's so much software development and things in the space. So, and he loves the fact that it's kind of newer cutting edge and and all those things. I like it, but I, I would not have done it if I had not partnered with Russ. And so that's another way that your investor DNAs really can kind of mold. It doesn't mean it's a dead end for you if it's not the perfect fit. It means maybe you have to have a partner or yeah. you maybe have to have resources that you don't necessarily have. So that's just kind of how I think about it. No, I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. And it's... um. I, I think it's especially true that uh, investor DNA, when I look at it, I think very much on per- people's abilities, right? Things like that. I like the fact that you mentioned, uh, you know, take cash out of the equation. That's just something you need to get, right? 
So it's not like an investor's DNA is somebody with rich that is rich buys a certain type of asset and someone that doesn't have money buys. No, that's not it at all. That's not what investor DNA is, right? Um, right. Maybe in the government's eyes, being a credit investor, not a creditor, but that's not how the real world works. And so nobody really cares about that. Um, but when you mentioned here land, right? Short-term rentals. What else are you guys doing? So we have- we're investing in uh, ATM uh, machines. So I've heard know, a lot about this. Probably, huh? I've heard a lot about this. I, I have some um, friends that are in um, my uh, personal mastermind I'm a part of, and they're investing in ATM funds. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So ATMs, obviously, is not something that the three of us probably use a lot, right? I don't know the last time I went to an ATM machine and got money out. But obviously, there's a, a, a large group of the population out there that they use it on a daily basis, right? A lot of times they get off work and the bank is closed. They can't check, cash a check. So they go to the ATM machine and there's a fee associated with that, right? So we we own seven different ATM machines that are strategically placed, right, in corporate buildings and uh, restaurants. I didn't even realize this until once we got into the business, but a lot of the ATMs that are even at banks are not even owned by the banks. They're owned by, by, by large institutional investors, right? It's <laughs> uh, awesome. And, 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 you know, just like anything, right, you got uh, get depreciation out of it just the same way you would get depreciation out of real estate. You get to depreciate at a really rapid pace because it's computers and, and those parts uh, will tend to, to break down. But they, you know, you put a dollar in, you, you, you get uh, cash flow off of it immediately. It's been a, a really kind of that's super passive for us because there's an oper, you know there's an operator in place they mm-hmm. they're the ones negotiating the lease terms with the places they're at we already know roughly how long the parts will will be there so uh, we we negotiate lease terms for t- typically about seven years and that's about how long they basically plan to maintain the, the actual equipment itself. Uh, we're, do you do that we're with invested. all your businesses? Do uh, you mentioned this a few times that you have operators? In everything that you do, do you get a third party or a, a separate operator, or are you the operator in some? No, Joey and I uh, don't operate anything. Uh, so, I mean, we, we we function barely as human beings. It's like, at least that's what our wives would tell us. But our our gift to the world, right? The thing that we know is delegation. Like that was a trait that was came to us naturally. So we immediately think that way. So. Typically, we are not just thinking as just a pure investor. We think more as a big quadrant business owners, Robert Kiyosaki would say, yeah. from uh, the, the cash, flow, cash flow quadrant. But we're thinking about how do we build a business that can put an operator in where we can add strategic input and value sometimes marketing. And, and if we can do that, that's what drives, that's my investor DNA. I, I yeah. love being involved. I love having the influence. And so most of the things that we're involved in, we have operators that we get to add value into, whether that be, you know, our short-term rental business, our long, uh, our land flipping business. Uh, Joey, uh, we, we, we have an RV that we, we ran out. Uh, we have a business, uh, an e-commerce business. It's actually a candle uh, company that operates online. We, we love sharing ideas with the operator there to, to be able to add new candle lines to the company, to be thinking uh, from a strategic marketing standpoint, how we can add value. We have an information-based business that we, we create uh, a, a place where people can go and build courses and, and, and share those in there. Um, that's super passive for us. 
And, and then, you know, we make dumb mistakes like investing in cattle companies and uh, 100 unicorn, you know, uh, online uh, companies and things like that, that that take our money from us to give us good tax deductions, right? Well, okay. Well, that's actually, okay. Now, now I want to talk about that real quick. Now, you mentioned a lot of things that you're doing, which I love, right? And, and you know, it's funny because um, most people just simply know me as the storage guy, right? Like, you just do storage. Now, um, my nature, though, is... Uh, very much entrepreneur and I'm very curious and I'm very interested in lots of things. So I have big time shiny object syndrome, right? And for <laughs> me, I know that that can be um, a big risk and I need to make sure that I manage and mitigate those risks. Um, perfect example, like for you guys, I would say that your risk mitigation is you handle a, an operator that is the expert in that. Okay. So you can understand the fundamentals, the value add, you can look at the, okay, this is how much cash flow we're going to get, all that kind of stuff. And then you work with the expert in it. Um, and for me, I give myself a shiny object uh, within parameters every, every, you know, so often I say, AJ, you can chase this, go for it. Doesn't need to make you money. Might be a loser. We accept that right up front, AJ, but that's your shiny object. Go have fun. Um, so talk to me about how you guys limit risk because not everything's going to be okay. And I think a lot of people, this is the paralyzing fact. It's like, I may do something wrong or stupid and I may not understand it. And then it goes belly up. Well, here, here's what I would say. And I'm gonna let Joey jump in in a second. I know I've been talking a lot, but the, <laughs> to me, risk mitigation is really around your understanding or lack of understanding of what you're investing in and your ability to influence this outcome, right? Like Warren Buffett, people would say that's, you know, the best investor in the world. Well, what is it that Warren Buffett does? He, he he buys companies that he sees that are undervalued and he puts his management principles into those companies that he's built over decades that allow those companies to succeed, right? And then he intertwines his companies so they work off each other mm-hmm. and they have bought in, you know, purchasers, right? People that need the product or other companies that he already owns. Well, what really risk does he have, right? I mean, sure, there's governmental risk and there's some economic risk that exists outside of his control, but as a whole, he's really mitigating his risk because he understands it. I think for the average person, they're 100% at risk because they understand zero. They don't know what they're investing in and they can't influence his outcome. So when you ask how do we mitigate risk, we try to be as close to the investment as we possibly can so that we, one, understand it, and two, can make decisions that can help influence its outcome. For instance, our short-term rental business, December and January are some of the worst months, right, for travel as it relates to those businesses. In our area. In in our area. We're we're in Birmingham, Alabama. We're not a travel destination, (laughs) right? There's nobody like saying like, man, honey, let's vacation in Birmingham this coming year. (laughs) (laughs) But what ends up happening is, is how can we influence? Well, we build relationships with with real estate people and other local people in town so that when their house is being repaired, so that when they have um, people that are moving into town and are looking for a place to live and they don't have a place or their house is sold, but the new house that they're either building or they're uh, buying is not ready because it's been extended through many different contract delays. We all know these things that happen. They go, hey, you need to call Russ or you need to email Russ. 
And because of that, I've now been able to then forward all of those to our operator. And he has a constant flow of people that help him fill the gaps throughout the, the Januaries and Februaries and Decembers when Airbnb and VRBO and booking are not filling up his books. Yeah. That's how I can influence the outcome is just by building influence in our network. And the other, the only two things I'll add to this as far as mitigating risk is one, we are not afraid to pay for coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, when we got in short-term rental business, we, we paid over $25,000 for the best coach we could find to train our operator because we knew this is not something that we're going to just take lightly. We're going to just try at, like, we're going to do this full on and we want to do it right from day one so we can scale quickly and do it the right way. The other thing that we do in, in, in the, Places that we are not super active in, we know the operators, right? The operators are personal friends. Like when we got into mining cryptocurrency, we didn't do it because we understood cryptocurrency or mining computers. Like that's a whole nother, you know, yeah. vocabulary that we don't own or, or can't. I mean, Russ can't hardly, you know, speak English. <laughs> and but we but, we but he can sell the books. operators. <laughs> he could sell books, but we knew the operators so well as personal friends that we said the key person is in place and we can see the numbers. We it, it makes sense. Let's let's move forward. So I think those two things mitigate risk for you. Yeah. Um all awesome. I I I think really good suggestions. And I think one of the things that I liked that you said, you know, we had some stuff that went bad. We got tax right off and everything. It's that there's, um, I, I have a really big problem in entrepreneur on investing culture where it's like, this guy is so good that they were just successful. Right. And I'm like, that's not really how it works. And this acceptance that, you know, first of all, things can go bad and it shouldn't be expected that they're not because that's just part of it, right? I mean, we don't even expect that in our jobs. No one expects that they're going to get out of college and then have a job for their whole life. So why would you expect right. that in investing or anything else, right? That's irrational to me. But a lot of people view and think and believe that way. And I like the fact that it's like, listen, we got write-offs, right? We understand it's not always going to go, um, but we're on this journey and we're moving forward. Um, now, uh, I have a, guys, I apologize. I have a hard stop here in, in nine minutes and I want to cover so much here. Um, but let me talk to you right now in today's age. Well, obviously we know a lot of these things are cyclical. Okay. So we know that some investments perform better than other ones. And I love your niche investments. I love the fact that you're thinking out of the box ATMs. And I don't think people understand that. Right. I think they think, oh, investing. Well, investing is whatever I read in the wall street journal, right? Which capital is needed all over the place. It's amazing how many businesses, high returns, on and on and on. What are you guys really interested in and looking forward? You know, over now we're in a crazy year. There's a lot of unknowns. We have inflation. So when you guys are looking at app, uh, capital allocation this year for especially designed around financial freedom things, what are you looking at? What are you interested in? Yeah. So there's a couple of things I would add to that. One is uh, people ask us all the time in our short-term rental business right now, we are mostly arbitraging our units because we believe real estate prices are high uh -huh. and, and purchasing, we, we can do, usually we can get three units up and running for what it costs us to go buy 
one. Uh, but we know that also as time goes on, as the market does come back to reality, then we will then turn around and start buying units, right? And ride the wave up as we use our um, furnishings in there to short-term rents. So that's one of kind of long-term, it's probably a three-year project. Like I've been waiting for the market to crash for three years. I may be waiting three more years before it happens, right? <laughs> yep. Like uh, the, what's the old saying that the market can be uh, crazy longer and you can be solvent? So, yes. uh-huh. you know, like it, it, so I, I don't, you know, don't pretend to have the answers to that. The Fed will ultimately deter determine what what happens there. But as far as things that we're not investing in today that we're most excited about from our perspective, it it has more to do with kind of a an extension to our short-term rental space. We feel like the RV um, spot right now is where self-storage was, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very disconnected. A lot of mom and pop stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we see uh, the opportunities for a little bitty you know, small, tiny homes and little trailers um, that, you know, wheels that are in these little RV parks that could be rented, the ability to to make cash flows from renting, you know, uh, golf carts or little water parks at their own, like little yeah. lakes or something like that. We see that as a really interesting opportunity. And it's something that Joey and I have been exploring probably for nine months. And we're trying to develop some relationships with the experts in that space. That's probably if you see us dive into something new this year outside of what we're already doing, I would say that'd be the thing. Yeah, we're adding on um, all of our, let me think here, all of our storage facilities under development. 50% of them are boat and RV right now. Yeah, so. for sure. Like RV storage is huge right now. I mean, that's, I think that's an amazing uh, opportunity. And, you know, again, just, we, we see RV storage, then, well, wh- why would you not create a park right next yeah. to it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just- it, Well, especially it's, in today's housing with prices. pads and septic tanks. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't think a lot of people think about this. I was talking to my barber last week, and I live in a place, um, Boise, Idaho, where prices have exploded. I mean, you're talking about housing last year up like 30 plus 40%, right, in one year. And so over three years, housing's doubled here and it's left so many people that are just like, it's completely unaffordable, right? It has so surpassed anything. And it, and two, this is on top of, it had been rising at 12, 13% plus every year for the prior six plus years forward. So it's not that it was off of nothing. No, it had been continually going up. Um, but you have all of these people where income hasn't adjusted, they don't know where to live. And these RV parks, right? My barber is living in one and she's like, I have this option. My renewal comes up and she's like, I didn't have it reserved. So I have to leave. And she's like, I have to drive clear out to another County to even find one. And she goes, they are booked and locked for years to come. And that's something that I was thinks very interesting that people aren't looking at that this is going to become more of a thing in the United States. I believe a lot of people are going to say trailer home home or RV. I want to be able to move. It's more of a short-term thing. It's not long-term, right? I'm in a job in a position to where I can't afford certain types of housing anyways. Um, And I think this is going to be a very common thing. And those people that own these RV parks in the last 10 years, they're getting just astronomical amounts more than they ever were before. And to the people in RVs, it's a fraction of the cost otherwise still. So there's still so much legs, leg room to go up on that. 
I I completely agree with you guys on that. I, I see all those things as becoming more and more because the housing crisis that we have is not going anywhere. We are so right. fundamentally short on housing for people to live in in the United <laughs> States that this is going to spur and spill out to all these other areas that maybe not a lot of people are looking. So you say, oh, apartment buildings is what that means. And you're like, eh. Maybe there's other assets that you can do that are different. You can take a piece of land, all of a sudden make a bunch of pads, do it relatively cheap. And now you're getting 600 bucks a month for a pad. And all you did was put a septic tank and wire. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about, but I love those things that you guys are thinking about. It's a lot of it reminds me of the adage of, um, you know, you, uh, sell shovels to the miners, right? It's everybody's going for the gold. Don't go for the gold grab the shovels and sell it to the to the miners. And it seems like you've done a lot of that, investing around uh, peripherals and visions, which I think is huge because two, you're looking at where the big money isn't going necessarily. So lots of times you're not competing yeah. with ginormous funds. Amazing strategy. I love it. Um, guys, I'm so sorry. I do have to end this a, a, a little short today, but where can people go to learn more about what you guys are doing um, I could talk about this stuff all day, this idea of creating wealth, investing on the side. You're not operators. You don't have to have expertise. Um, a lot of people are going to relate to this. So where can people go to learn more about what you're doing, what you guys are investing in, and how? Well, we'd love for you to uh, to follow us in our community. Uh, we created an app that you can download and uh, get access to our community. But we've also got a free course you can get access to at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash GPS, just like, you know, GPS for your phone, wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash GPS. There's a DM function in there. So just tell us that you, you heard us on this show and uh, we'd love to connect with you there. Awesome, you guys. I'm looking at it um, right here. Also, everybody, you do got to go uh, check out their podcast um, if you're interested in these topics plus more. And your guys' podcast is Wealth uh, Without Wall Street Podcast, correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't get real creative with the name. We just kept it all the same. Hey, it's easier that way. <laughs> anywhere else, you guys? Are you on social or anywhere else you want people to go find you? Or is that pretty much it? Man, that that really is it. We we spend all our time and effort. Like you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you, you just would be disappointed with the level of uh, unengagement <laughs> that we have on those on those platforms. We we built this app off of those platforms on purpose. We want to get rid of the political rhetoric and the cat memes, and we wanted to make people go. focus directly on uh, becoming financially free. That's uh, I did kind of the same thing. I I have. Um, um, my masterminds, which is the CRE circle, which is just a general runway. Then I have an in-depth one on, on self-storage and I put it all, like, I want all the communication, everything. We started out on Facebook and then I moved everything to Slack. I was like, get off there, go to Slack, have real conversations, and then we can do it. it it's, it's a better place to manage that kind of stuff. So that's awesome guys. Hey, thank you so much. The links, um, everybody are in the show notes, check it out, follow them for more. And thank you for coming on guys. Thank you. Thank you.